Hi everyone and welcome to Marketplace Jungle, where we like to explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. Brought to you by eChameleon, I'm your host, Jesse Rag. Today's guest is Matthew Ferguson, co-founder and director of services at Rich Insight. Now, if you listened to last week's episode with Andrew Steele from charlesbentley.com, you might recall that Andrew referred to the Rich Insight team as being a valuable extension of their own e-commerce team, helping with all aspects of managing their marketplace accounts. In-house versus agency is always a big topic for marketplace sellers, and opting for the latter often leaves sellers with a bad taste. There's no end of agencies and consultants who claim to offer marketplace expertise, only for it to turn out later that they're only familiar with the workings of Amazon or simply managing PPC campaigns, or perhaps they're highly focused on private label sellers only. But for traditional retailers or growing consumer brands, finding an agency which can really manage all aspects of the marketplace business can be challenging. That's where Matthew Ferguson and the team at Rich Insight come in. In today's episode, expect to learn what questions you should ask yourself to help you decide which technology you need to help manage your marketplace business, why we at eChameleon ended up entering the saturated channel management space when our original plan was to replace Microsoft Excel for e-commerce businesses, what impact Matthew sees AI having on the e-commerce industry, and Matthew's advice for building a team to manage your marketplace business, and his tips to help you find the right agency if you prefer to take that route. Matt, thanks so much for joining on Marketplace Jungle. It's great to have you on today. Before we start talking about Rich Insight and how you guys have helped many marketplace sellers, including Andrew Steele, who was on the most recent episode, I'd love to hear from the horse's mouth why you're a marketplace expert, how it is that you've ended up working for sellers like Charles Bentley. Well, the the honest answer is I fell into the profession, I think, like most people. Didn't know what I wanted to do, so I took a job in South Florida as uh, it was quoted as an office manager. And actually, it turned out to be some sort of e-com administrative assistant, which didn't really exist as a phrase back then. You know, you didn't really see job e-commerce manager, so to speak, very much. And, you know, it was it was a uh, small little outfit run by a person I admire still to this day. He was just a, a, a pure entrepreneur. He was just built to be one. And he had a few little companies under one roof. And I did lots of odd jobs on e-commerce, working on websites, updating listings, handling customer service, doing some warehouse stuff, um, doing some booking in of, of sort of stock inbound on the ship, also just a range of e-commerce duties. And one of those included managing the, the third party channels, Amazon, eBay, at the time, uh, some of the other um, US channels, Target and Overstock that was. And it just sort of became a slow graduation experience from there. I got employed for another company that was bigger, same sort of stuff I did for them. And when I moved over from the US to Europe, I took a temporary job in Poland for an old friend of mine who was building a car marketplace, helped him a bit with that. It was a small project, landed in London, took up a job at Channel Advisor. And it just, it just, it was one of these things where it was just a snowballing effect. The agency was born because I got poached by one of Channel Advisor's competitors at the time. And in between that transition, I had a lot of people contact me. Andrew Steele was one of them in, in various different means, mostly on LinkedIn and, and, and sort of through, through email and, and phone and just said, look, can you run our account on the side? We really like working with you at Channel Advisor. You know, do you want 
can we hire you? And I guess what I should mention is at the time that was happening, a friend of mine uh, and one of my you know people in the team at, at, at Channel Advisor and a close friend of mine these days, now my, my business partner of 11 years, he moved over as well and he had a similar effect. He had similar um, companies and, and contacts contacting him. And so we, we, we conspired on it a little bit and thought, well, we've got the makings of a small agency right here if we just take all these clients overnight and turn them into our customers. So we, we started from humble beginnings, just like that. So these are channel advisor customers? Some of them were, and some of them were just customers that never joined Channel Advisor, but but got to speak to us through the sales process because the sales team in particular used to drag me in a lot um, to, to help land deals. And so through a range of just networking and contacts, we had a, a small nest egg of clients to build the agency with. Uh, and then the rest is history. We just grew organically from there and had to figure it all out, bootstrap along the way, made tons of mistakes, um, learned things the hard way. Um, I think year one, we were very altruistic. We, 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 well, naive almost. We had no contracts. You paid us at the end of 30 days. The first month was free. It was a fixed rate. Um, it was all just, you know, loose, loose goose and an aspiration to never churn a client and, and, um, you know, keep everyone happy and grow. Uh, reality is not, not as easy as that, but, um, yeah, it, it just all started rather, rather from humble beginnings. And I just fell into this profession. And this was 11 years ago now. Yeah, I think so. Or, or longer. Um, I think my e-commerce journey technically started probably 13, 14 years ago. Now, obviously you work with more than just channel advisor, just for a bit of an overview. Um, what are, what are some of the technologies that you use on behalf of your customers? Uh, well, as you know, we're in discussions to use e-chameleon. Um, you already know that, but, uh, <laughs> Um, we, we use Jano Advisor. Um, we use Linworks. They're one of our um, other big solutions that a lot of our clients are on. Uh, we're working closely with Channel Engine, and and you know we, we're, we're keen to adopt a few clients on on that. Um, we've also worked with what was it? Um, I forget Royal Mail's system. It was uh, began with an F, if I'm not mistaken. Um, forget that. We, we, we used... I know the one you mean. No, it wasn't called Forget That. It was something else. <laughs> um, it'll come to me later tonight when I'm replaying this this conversation. Um, well, there's that solution and uh, Channable. Uh, we've used M2E Pro. We, we've used lots of solutions. We, we, Cellware, we had a client on. They're a US-based outfit. Um We've we've worked on trade bites. I think we've got one or two clients that are on trade bites at the moment. Uh, Lengau, we've got a client on Lengau. Anatwine. Anatwine had a closed box solution. Uh, we worked alongside a few Anatwine uh, clients, but but because they had a closed box solution and it was a closed um, sort of service offering, there wasn't that much in terms of partnership for us. They were more competitive than partner. We we certainly tried um, when they were around. Um, but yeah, I, we're agnostic when it comes to the system to a degree. We can adopt any system. We know a lot of the systems. And for us, the system is a means to an end. So as long as the system does what it needs to do and and we can wrap our, our, our sort of routines and, and services around it, we don't, we don't mind too much. So obviously the, the listener of this podcast is typically a marketplace seller or somebody who is looking at marketplaces as a way to expand their business. 
maybe they're, they're only selling on Amazon and they would like to expand to eBay or Kaufland or Zalando or whatever the best next channel is for them. When we talk about channel management software, all of these different names that you just mentioned, which is obviously only scratching the surface. And I can tell you that because I know I'm constantly having to explain the differences of eChameleon versus all of the other tools that are out there. It's a very, very saturated market. Do you have any advice for a e-commerce business, which coming from your agnostic perspective would help somebody to make a decision on what the right tool is for them? What features does somebody actually need? Is there a, is there a general sort of checklist that you could help us to create for a seller that is evaluating bringing new technology into their business? I actually do have uh, close to a 20-page document, which I share to clients, which goes over a series of themes and topics and tries to explain each one and then summarizes that into, I think, a two-page checklist for clients to go through. So I I do have a ready-made document for that, which which I'd be happy to, to sort of share to anyone. It is a very, it's a multi, multi-dimensional topic to explore. And, and I think you probably know as well as I do that not all solutions fit all clients. Not all clients will fit all solutions and not all solutions are equal, even though they might profess to be online. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's a tricky, it's a tricky topic. I will say that what you want to first think about is, is short term versus long term. You're typically looking for a solution for a short-term need, i.e. I need to solve my my out-of-stock issues on eBay. You need to also think about the long-term and you don't want to re-platform. So so think about the other channels you want to expand into, the roadmap, what you want to do with the the team long-term and scale it, and, and make sure that the system has a roadmap to it that you can grow into. And the other thing I will say that there's, there's, a, there's hundreds of things that you need to explore and think about, but, but the other main thing that I think is often missed is that you can often look at just the cost of the system without looking at the man hours to run the system. And sometimes you can talk yourself out of a good system because on the face of it, it says it's two, three, ten thousand pounds a month, whatever it is. Um, and you're comparing that to another system that might be 250 pounds a month. And you're thinking, well, if they say they do the same thing, they both list to eBay, they both give me stock management, they both process my orders, why, why should I pay, pay so much more for this one? I'll just buy the cheap solution. It's very easy to get caught in a trap operationally where you adopt a cheap system, but then the hours to manage it and run it balloon. And before you know it, you're actually paying more just for, have, just for team labor than for the system. So I'd say that is the place that's easiest to get lost and where I see time and time again. But uh, apart from that, it's all about what the brand needs and their direction of travel, the size of their catalog. It's, it's lots of different variables. So maybe instead of asking the question of what questions a, a seller should be asking of a potential technology provider, are there any questions that a seller should be asking themselves when evaluating potentially bringing new technology into the system, into the process? I think that's, that, I think that's, a, you've hit the nail on the head. I think, I think, I think a part of it is asking what the system can do, but, but mainly it's asking themselves what they need from the system and to explore that topic in detail across the different departments or just the different functions you need from if you're a small team. Because often you've, we have found anyway that, that a brand will adopt a system because one department was fixing a problem or one person in the team was fixing a problem. Because they didn't bring in the other people and said, what do you need from this tool? How do you need it to work to be most efficient? It, they, they just moved a problem elsewhere in the company. Uh, and so they solved one problem, created another, or only solved half the problem 
when they could have solved the whole problem if they'd done a little bit more shopping around. So you shouldn't even go looking for a system until you've got a very detailed understanding of what you ideally need across all the different steps and dimensions of the company. What are some of those steps? What are some of the areas that are going to be affected by a decision like this? Sure. Uh, data management. I think you and I have grown up on the data management side, and, and, and that's an important part. Of course, the weighting on data management is very different between a catalog of five items on two channels and 50,000 items on 20. The data quality that also affects that as, as, a, as a big factor in the types of functionality you need to automate and manage the data at scale. But then it just becomes a long list of lots of different things. If you're a fashion seller and you're keen for Zalando and some of the, the other bigger fashion channels, you're probably going to want to be able to, to manage and segment stock and deal with multiple DCs and, and third-party distribution centers because you're probably going to use ZFS. You probably use FBA for most most Amazon categories these days anyway, to some degree. So you're probably going to want to manage that, but also be able to manage merchant stock as well, which some systems can do better than others. Uh, then it's all about also analysis as well. So it really depends, I guess, on on if you're a brand or a retailer, first and foremost. I think you're going to want different things out of the software depending on the two. But, but then it's Typically, yeah, it's, it's the data management first and foremost, obviously stock management. Then it really can come down to sort of the data and analysis, if it's got good analysis capability and or if it's got advertising built in with logistics being kind of the crown jewel because nothing works unless items are keeping stock. When you think of logistics, do you think primarily of orders coming in from marketplaces and, send, and keeping stock levels up to date and sending tracking information to the marketplace and updated inventory levels? Or do you also think about the purchasing element or should that be handled via a different technology? It doesn't have to be handled by the same technology. You certainly don't need to have your listing management solution also be your purchase order solution, your, your inventory management solution. But they need to they need to talk together. It's part of the same it's it's part of the same equation. If if I'm going to grow this year and continue to 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 expand my catalog and grow my top sellers, I need to keep them in stock. I can't have dips where they run out of stock because the engine that you build to drive sales and traffic it, it doesn't just switch back on the moment you add petrol back to it. It sputter and need time to warm up and come to life again every time it runs out of stock. And the longer it runs out of stock, the more the engine cools down and needs time. So you definitely need to be very much on top of your stock management in all sectors, but you don't need it all to be in one system though. And with regards to channel management technologies, because obviously every every tool claims to do everything for marketplaces, but that's that's a very unique perspective. The marketplace part is only one small part of the overall business. So everything is not everything. And I can tell you from our perspective, we didn't, as eChameleon, set out to become a channel management tool. Our original goal was to replace Microsoft Excel. We then obviously started building APIs on top of that because our first customers said, well, hey, if I'm creating product data in eChameleon, why do I then need another tool on top of that to push it to the marketplace? And then it was, okay, well, why do I now need another tool to pull the order data from the marketplace? Why can't you build those APIs as well? And so that was kind of an inevitable growth for our product, but it wasn't where we set out. Our core focus was and, all, and is the product data aspect, creating that channel-specific product data. But from the seller's perspective, that's an even bigger minefield because 
you've also got to create your products and create your images and you've got to first be able to have that data but you're getting data in from different manufacturers you've got to order new products from your manufacturer or from your brands part- partners that you work with if you're a retailer you're managing your hr your bookkeeping there's all these different elements and sure there's you know maybe bits of data need to be pulled from left and right but where is where is the line there between something that should be an all singing all dancing e-commerce technology dare i call it that um, versus when should you kind of pile up all of these different tools with a combination of google sheets and various tools and the air table here and a notion database there and e-chameleon here and an even a channel advisor there you know there's there's kind of no end of the different technologies that can all be thrown into this melting pot with many overlapping features and functionalities but how can a how can a seller kind of figure out for themselves what they should buy, maybe even what they should build themselves. What are some of the advantages, some of the risks there? You're absolutely spot on. I mean, it's it's a complicated minefield. And there's there's a lot of moving parts. I guess having, uh, I've looked under the bonnet, looked under the hood in, in the US of hundreds of organizations now over the last sort of 15 years and, and got a peek at the system flow, how they do business, you know, whether they've got one system or multiple, whether it's manual or automated, um, there is no right or wrong out there, and there's there's probably no one size fits all perfect flow. You've got some companies that that build all off of a bespoke ERP, some companies that transact primarily on their PIM solution and work around with inventory management, some that build out of their WMS and then into listing management, and then yes, you've got all sorts of companies that are trying to uh, connect third-party tools off the shelf and or build their own tools. I will say that more often than not, we inherit a situation where they've built too much internal technology and they're trying to get away from it because what for whatever reason, it's created a bottleneck. They've become increasingly a development warehouse and they don't want to have a development team that's constantly busy. They're constantly trying to keep things up to date. And so they, they get to this point where they can't build the new things they need. So I would always avoid simply because of everything that we've witnessed over the years to, to build your own technology. Just it's, it, it may look like it's a better idea at first. It just almost never is. Use a third party, let them handle the API updates, let them handle the, the system integrity, um, and, and leverage that. Uh, and, and only where needed build your bespoke little integrations or your bespoke little updates to those tools and systems of which a lot of them have custom scripting or open APIs to do so, but avoid building your own in-house solutions where possible. And then otherwise, it's really just about being pragmatic. You know, what's, what is working? What is efficient? What is not sucking up tons of people's time every day? What does not break if someone goes on holiday for two weeks or calls in sick? Uh, making sure that there's accountability, there's no bottlenecks, and that where possible things are automated and where necessary, there's sort of that human dimension coming in to enhance and refine it. You certainly shouldn't be in a situation where you're manually creating all the data all the time, but you can't really fully automate all the data yet, even with all these AIs, you know, they're, they're going to make little mistakes and they're not always going to get things accurate or get your brand tone right. So it's just finding the most efficient combination and avoiding building all your own stuff where possible. AI is obviously the topic of the day. Yes. Every was, single day, there's 10 new AIs apparently. And it's, 
And the thing is, I'm I'm very hesitant to say anything. I mean, we're using an AI-based platform to record this conversation. We're about to say and have already said is being fed into the machine and will probably be used against us at some point. (laughs) When our overlords take over, yes. And we're all enslaved. They will recall what we said, yes. Exactly. But better than we will. The risk, of course, with AI at the moment, with its current technology as of May 2023, is, as you say, the accuracy. I mean, right now, the hot topic is this lawyer who used it to help show precedent for the case he was presenting. And it turned out that the AI just made up a bunch of baloney cases. And it was only when the opposition called this out that they that even he realized it. I've had the same thing with that with less impact where I've been playing around with creating product descriptions based on how much information do you actually need to give to the AI for it to create a half decent product description. And you just see it go crazy. It makes stuff up. As it's it hallucinating, as they say. Yes. Exactly. Where do you see that space developing? I mean, what? obviously, there's basic opportunities like create product descriptions, create titles, create stuff based on this. You've got mid-journey, create me some images, you know, copyright, question marks, et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of a, again, it's another minefield. Where do you see it going? Well, if I'm going to be completely honest, I think we're we're all in the trenches of the thinking and actually the entire nature of the landscape is going to change completely soon. Um, I mean, so I felt a little validated because Bill Gates came out and said something a few days ago, which I'd been saying a good month ago. He basically said that when AI, when AI is perfect, perfected to where everyone can have their own assistant that they can trust, it's going to kill Google search. It's going to kill Amazon. Um, it's going to kill a lot of these entities that have centralized their, their position Um and created their own internal ways of, of surfacing sort of these products based on search terms and, and, and sort of how much money you spend on advertising. Because essentially, um, that AI bot can go find products meeting my parameter from various websites and systems and do all the pre-filtering for me and all the pre-searches for me um, without any of the transaction at that stage happening on site. So... From an advertising perspective on Amazon, where do I spend PPC on Amazon if the search, so to speak, is happening off-site? Same for Google. Um, so I think that everything that's going on right now is small potatoes, quite frankly, to where this direction is going to go 10 years from now. I think this is all the fun, interesting stuff. But when AIs become robust and, I guess, trustworthy in their in their integrity and in the output – it's going to change the landscape to such a degree so that their applicational use will, will be five steps above from what we're mostly imagining. And it won't be about helping me build bullets on Amazon because the whole notion of, of, of Amazon and bullets and, and what its value on Amazon will soon to start to become increasingly obsolete and erode over time. It's going to take years. It won't be overnight. Um, so, so I'm really not sure on the direction, but I see AI um, fundamentally changing the, the e-commerce landscape. Um, it's, it's almost like a, a web 3.0 in the making. It's going to decentralize everything. It's, it's going to provide a lot more power to the user, both in terms of developing their own tools, but also just having access to those own AIs. Um, and it's, it's going to change the landscape of all these centralized, um, big players at the moment. Um, almost fragment the internet in, in a way, I think. I think when you combine it as well with the tools like 3D printing and, other areas like that, you, you really start looking into not even selling products anymore, but selling designs. You know, why would you buy a table online if you can print one at home? 
you don't you can sell your design for 20 euros instead of the table for 2000 euros you buy your material you buy the wood-esque ink whatever it might be sure there's always going to be a market for the old-fashioned way of things but i think also the i mean i this is what i pitch every day anyway when, when it comes to product data but every marketplace algorithm in its current status is fed by product data the more information you give the better the algorithm understands what your product is the better job it can do displaying that product to the consumer it thinks will purchase that product based on everything it knows about that consumer some marketplaces have better algorithms than others but fundamentally the more data you provide the more you're going to sell organically yep and i think the good news is you and i will still have hopefully some relevance in the times ahead because product data will become more king i almost see a resurgence of metadata and and sort of seo which some people were saying is is dead or nearly dead just a few years ago. And I think it's going to come full circle now. I think it's going to be about the integrity of the product data, how well you could surface that to feed these algorithms, and then how it can give you a result based on that data. Um, the, the, the advertising on the site, though, is going to dramatically change because people just won't Google anymore. They won't need to go to Amazon and, and type in a search. It's true, especially once it gets connected with Siri. Yes, yes. I mean, there's already bots that can do it, that have been hacked together, that can do things that we're talking about now. And that's only going to become more enhanced, become better over the next few years. It's going to, in my opinion, fundamentally change the e-commerce landscape. I'm hoping it's going to decentralize it so that everyone has the opportunity to promote their product and make it about a good product, not about a deep, steep marketing budget or just solicitation of reviews, which there's nothing wrong with doing that. But but hopefully what it's going to do is just even the playing field so that it's all about how good the product is, how much the market likes the product, and less so about how many people have heard of that brand. And how much, how big is their PPC budget? Yes. And, and again, there's some really good brands out there that are very big. But, but what you don't want is to have a brand dominate something simply because they're big. It's because they've got a good product, hopefully, and they've got a good message. I'm hoping that you know the way AI is going, it's just going to put put a little bit more power back into anyone who's got a good idea, um, and and allow people to 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 have more opportunity to maneuver online. Do you see any any hurdles in the short term? Obviously, crystal ball time. But do you see any hurdles from your own research into the topic? that you think a typical e-commerce seller might have to contend with before we reach that point of it being perfectly reliable? Well, very, very short term, there's still stock problems, obviously. I think a lot of brands and retailers are still having trouble just keeping product on the shelves or getting them getting them delivered to their warehouses without ridiculously high container costs. Um, what we're talking about now is definitely years and years ahead, and there will be stumbling blocks between now and then. Because the big players with the deep budgets won't go, won't die quietly, um, and they might reinvent themselves and try and dominate these spaces a lot more. Certainly, um, I think a lot of different jobs are going to become, I don't say obsolete, but 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 much more generic, or or the, the one person will be able to do more, so there'll be fewer jobs in that space for for the many, um, and. That's obviously going to create some problems for some industries now. Um, across my, you know, in, in our agency, obviously that's 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 a topic at hand. 
Um, the flip side is that there's, there's all sorts of new emerging jobs that are coming in. So what I'm, what I'm mindful of is that because things are going to change quite a bit between now and 10 years, but there's going to be a, a lot of evolution along the way, um, it's very easy to get trapped into a trend and think that this next big, huge paying job is, is going to um, be around for ages and I should invest fully into it when really it could be a very short-lived activity. This whole notion of prompt engineers that can get paid six figures plus at the moment. Great, good for them. That's amazing. Um, no, no, no problem at all. But, but would I, would I throw all my heart into that and, and try and become the next best prompt engineer right now? Absolutely not. Because in five years time, I just don't think that role is, is going to exist or is going to have as much relevance. Um, you know, bloggers were huge for 18 months when blogging came out and now everyone's blogger and, and it's, I think you don't don't get swept up in the trends definitely right now because I think a lot's going to change. Yeah, prompt engineer will, is one of those jobs that will almost certainly be replaced by AI. Yes, yes, you won't need it, the more the AI becomes intelligent, the more you won't need to prompt to, to to know how to prompt it in a certain way. It'll it'll start to draw the lines for you. So back to the topic of, of marketplaces, do you see from a marketplace seller's perspective a need to be looking into this right now? Is it is it hype? Is there something that's being missed? Is there because it, this, the landscape is changing so quickly, as you say, and it's going to continue to change for a very long time? Do you see anything that a e-commerce seller needs to have on their radar right now that's kind of urgent, that's, that's pressing, that maybe people are not as aware of as they could be? Well, uh, I don't think it has much to do with AI, my answer to this topic, I think. I think, I think um, what, what I'm still surprised by is that there's still this notion that marketplaces can be just done by a jack of all trades. They can be just a generalist that does everything on marketplaces. Um, and it's just fundamentally not true. So I think that a lot of sellers still think they can hire that one person to manage everything on Amazon or hire that one person to manage everything on eBay, or, and then and then silo it per channel to have one person per channel even, or to have the person who's doing their website marketing to also do their Amazon PPC marketing. Uh, what, what marketplaces need is a degree of specialism. And I appreciate you can't always go hire three different people to do, to do, those, to do those roles when maybe you don't have the revenue and the, the workload to support it. But, but you really should avoid this generalist mindset because what we often find is brands will say, well, we tried this marketplace and it just didn't work for us. And when you start to unearth the reasons why, you, you realize, well, they didn't give it a chance, but they didn't know they hadn't given it a chance. They, they relied on a combination of, of people and Google and maybe a limited knowledge pool when really if they had invested the time and energy to, to, to make a better success of it from day one, they'd have got a much better result. So so yeah, I don't think there's anything to do with AI at the moment. I think AI, if anything, is going to help with some of the knowledge and some of the fast tracking of these roles. You're still going to need someone to, to do the work to leverage the AI to draw those different pieces and bots together. So come to say on that topic of the, the people behind the processes, regardless of how those processes look, internal versus external tools, AI or, or human, when you're looking at this from your agency perspective, I imagine most of the customers that you talk to, they're, they're either, sorry, the, the customers that you don't win, I should say, the, the leads that you don't win. I imagine on one end of the spectrum, they're too small. They can't afford your services yet. So maybe they need to build out a marketplace team slash process of their own that would 
ideally do some semblance of what your team would do for them, or they've outgrown the need for an agency and they want to bring this in-house? I think it's very different. I would start by saying that, that we're definitely not the cheapest, but but we're not you know, I, I, you can, we're affordable for the, for, for a good value. And, and if you're just starting out and you have no budget, okay, it's going to be hard for you to do anything except do it all yourself. You're not going to be able to hire someone any more than you're going to be able to hire an agency. But if you're looking to hire someone, you should definitely consider us. We're, we're in that space. And, and, you know, at times we're going to be more um, cost effective than that hire because we bring those multiple skill sets. You, you won't hire, you won't get one person on your account. You get, a third of, of three people, each one of those, um, a separate skill and role to, to deliver their function and know their profession well on your account. But, but, um, to be honest, actually bigger clients, uh, tend to want us more than literal clients because we're more cost effective than going to hire that big team of all those, those full-time hires. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to find good talent. That's, that's, that's a problem we face just in our hiring process. And even if you find the right talent, it's, 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 you've got to connect it all together. There's got to be good leadership and, and, and you've only got the knowledge of the people you've hired. I think we bring something a bit different to the, to the table because we're a collective of knowledge. We document as we go. We've got people who have done this for years and years and years, coaching people in the team. And, internally there's constant discussion about you know how do i do this how do i solve that who's seen this before you just don't get that through hiring people the same way um brands that tend to want to replace us and bring it in-house um usually that only happens when the the person is extremely knowledgeable of marketplaces and hires other extremely knowledgeable people and they've they've got quite a significant amount of revenue to hire to hire that seniority in uh but, but most of the time, I, I would say that, um, you know, we, we, we probably would take on the bigger brands uh, probably a little bit more easier for that reason. So I don't think you outgrow us, but, but you definitely need to grow to a point where you validate a, a new hire or an agency. Um, otherwise, it's, yeah, it's just going to burn a hole in your pocket for a while. So, without, so whether it's internal or external, what are some of those roles that would need to be filled? What are some of the tasks that someone would be doing when running that marketplace business for multiple marketplaces now, not just Amazon? Sure. Well, Amazon Amazon needs three right out the gate, probably, and arguably three and a half, four. It needs someone who's great on the technical side, so the data management, creating the listings, fighting Amazon support, and, and I stress the word fighting. Um, yeah. Uh, it needs someone on the flip side who's very good at advertising PPC management. It's very hard to, to do anything on Amazon without that function plugged and some activity there. And those already are two different types of skills. You're going to be very hard pressed to find someone who's very competent at being able to do both and has the time to do so. But then you need amazing management of logistics. You need good analysis of your data so that you can drive performance, which means you probably need to know how to create reports or at the very least understand them in a basic format. Uh, on top of all of that, you need good design iron merchandising to do A plus and to do your advertisements and to, to get your nice imagery and videos in place. So Amazon alone, you've got several different functions there, several different types of roles, which arguably each one is a different type of person you would go hire, different type of job spec you would build out. And there's lots of channels that need a similar subset. Zalando needs more certain aspects of that too, but far lesser to a degree, much more just on product data and technical and, and stock management. eBay needs that 
plus design a little bit more, but not as much. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's challenging. It's challenging. And, and we, we kept things modular so that we could adapt because, because every brand will, every client will have someone in their team who's strong in certain areas. And so we always just want to work around that strength and, and just plug in the gaps for them. We're not a, we're not a one size fits all. We're a, we're a combination of solutions and you kind of pick the pieces you need and we wrap around the pieces you've already got. Very, very good solution. And, and as we heard on the last episode last week, Andrew Steele from Charles Bentley is obviously very happy with the work that you've done. So definitely had to have this conversation to figure out what it is exactly that you guys have built that leads to such glowing reviews. Because Well, thank you. Thank you. We've got great case studies. But but I don't want to talk. I don't want to plug us too much. I don't want to talk about us. Let's get back to AI and the interesting stuff and, you know, world domination. Uh, 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 you know, uh, is, that, is that world domination? That's uh, next for your agency, is it? <laughs> well, <laughs> No, no, no. Just if we could have a benevolent Skynet buy us, that'd be great. No, um, <laughs> or just not not destroy us. Make sure the AI is always recommending rich insight. <laughs> well, well, I would hope so. No, I, I, I thank you. Those, those kind words, but but I'm I'm very interested in what the next ten years is going to look like on, in, in in e-commerce. I think a lot's going to change, and a part of it I find quite daunting for our agency. Some of it will make us irrelevant, but other parts are going to make us more needed than ever. And anyone who's worried about the ride in a similar space to me, just embrace the change. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying to fight against it and, and or just to pretend it's not there. But but actually, really, if, if you get on top of it and get ahead of it, these changes can be great for you. I was thinking about what you said about how we're just kind of in that fun playing around time. And it made me, uh, of the AI journey in, t- in 10 years time, we're going to look back at this, I think in the same way as we look back of that video that Apple released of the bulldog on the skateboard when they were advertising the first iPhone. And I have a feeling it's going to have a very similar similar vibe. Yep. Because obviously an iPhone can do a hell of a lot more than that now. Oh, yes. You know, just Vine before YouTube, MySpace before Facebook. It, it's This is uh, the early days. And, and who knows what's gonna, what it's going to look like in five years, but it's certainly going to look very different. Matt, I'm very aware that you've got to jump onto your next meeting. So let's call this one a day. We're going to get you back on in the future to talk about this as because it is going to be an ever-evolving space. And I think I've found someone here that is, has his finger on the pulse of what AI is doing and going to do to e-commerce, certainly within the marketplace's realm. So I can certainly imagine having you back on for another episode in the future. Before we call it a day, is there anything that you would specifically like to share with our audience? Are there any that and I will ask you to leave some information on where we can get that checklist as well. And I'll put that in the show, or a link to that information in the show notes. Yeah, uh, well, it's been great being here. Thank you for having me. I would be delighted to come back. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'd be more than happy to share that document wherever this is published and, and wherever you'd like it. So, so I can, I can offer that freely. No, I mean, uh, if, if you want to contact me anytime on LinkedIn, feel free to do so. Just send me a message. If, if you want to email us, feel free to do so anytime. Um, but, but I would just say that, um, don't try and game things. You know, if I, if I had to give one piece of general knowledge, um, and pretend that I knew what I was talking about for just a moment here, um, I would say that there's too many companies out there that try and game the system from a cynical perspective. They don't last very long. What you want is common sense and, and sort of real 
real support, real work, and, and a real product. So if you're trying to launch a product, just make it a good product. Make it a good message you believe in. And if you're going to hire someone or work with an agency that isn't us, don't get sold a story. You know, uh, if someone is speak is telling you truths and sometimes telling you stuff you're not sure you want to hear, that's probably a good sign. It probably means they're grounded and they're not trying to land you and then cynically try and hold on to you for as long as they can. Um, so, so you know, just try and I think the world has gotten a little bit fake in terms of products and messaging and the nonsense in between and 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 from a demographic standpoint, all the analysis that we've seen, the brands that are doing well are that they resonate with their audience on a, on a sustainable, tactical, real level. They're not being cynical. The, the younger people are smart enough to see through it. So if, if you're yeah, out there trying to sell a product, just, just believe in it. A great tip. Yeah. Well, it's been, I'm, I'm sure that's been said 20,000 times on other, you know, YouTube it's funny. Channels. It has, but it was, it was said by something very similar was said by Stefan Haney who was the VP of Amazon something. He was basically the guy that created what we now know as Seller Central or oversaw the creation of that. And he said something very similar along the lines of, just don't try to game Amazon. Play, Take it as it is. It is the way it is. Don't try and play the system. <laughs> just embrace it. And yeah. Yes. And think about all the other channels as well. It's not Amazon's not the only one. That's 100% singing my song. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been great. Thanks again for taking the time out of your day to listen in to Marketplace Jungle. If you're interested in receiving a free copy of Matthew's checklist for finding the right technology for your marketplace business, check out the link in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. If you're interested in finding out more about how eChameleon can help you tackle marketplaces beyond Amazon, Feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or via the eChameleon website. I'll see you next time. <laughs>